Hello and welcome to React Native Radio, episode 104. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. Today on our panel, we have Spencer Carley. Hello, hello. And our special guests today are the React Native Firebase team, or two of the people from the React Native Firebase team, Elliot Hess and Mike Darman. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hey, hello. Thanks well, for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Actually, I'm, I pronounced your last name wrong. It's Mike Deermid. Deermid, I think. Ah, so. fine. <laughs> fine, doesn't matter. So um, for those listening, you know, React Native Firebase, you probably know what it is, but to the two guests that we have on, you may, you may not, you may have seen them, you may haven't. So, can you guys give us a quick intro, kind of uh, what you're doing, uh, what you're working on, and how you maybe got into working with React Native? Well, we started working on sort of React Native about a good two and a half years ago now. Um, we sort of needed to build an app for something that we were working on, and then we sort of ended up needing Firebase services for it. And, and thus React Native Firebase was born. And obviously two and a half years later, we're still going somehow. It's been a, a long trek. But yeah, yeah currently... changes as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's always new Firebase features sort of every, every month. Uh, obviously React Native releases breaking things. Yeah, the usual module development. Right, right. <laughs> The joys of developing open source for React Native, it's definitely um, a different animal sometimes with the, the breaking changes. So, oh, yeah, um, definitely. So I'm kind of curious, so what do you guys work on uh, for your day job, like when you're not working on React Native Firebase? Myself, really, I'm more of a sort of back-end guy. I kind of do Node.js things, sort of server, server infrastructure, that kind of thing, really. Um, and then Elliot's more more the front end wizard guy. Yeah, you, I wouldn't say I'm a wizard, but it's like so the whole server side rendering, making sure the website's speedy, um, you know, SEO, all that kind of thing, performance. So, well, what companies do you guys work with, or do you work for yourself? Bit bit of both, really. We we kind of help, kind of work in industry, working kind of with a company to deliver sort of private websites and apps which we can't really sort of say what they are but and then on the side we do our own things as well so yeah it's uh, it's just an interesting we get we get a both both of us get a sort of um kind of a big share of you know technologies and different platforms you know like google um google cloud platform amazon and and whatnot so it's quite a broad sort of um industry really and then obviously react and react native fire React Native and React Native Firebase are kind of the other thing we do, so it's always busy. So can you talk about um, when you first started React Native Firebase, uh, how were people using Firebase before this library was out, or, or was there a way to use Firebase? Yeah, um, so Firebase has a, a JS web SDK, and well, being a web SDK, it's, it's got a sort of fairly limited feature set. Um, so quite a lot of the native modules that aren't available obviously on the web sdk we're missing and so you, you would use the web sdk but if you needed sort of any of the native stuff there was nothing really you could do unless you wrote your own sort of native integration and imported the native dependencies so what are um, some of the native things that that you needed to do i guess that uh that this library does initially when we started we needed i think it was analytics and performance monitoring 
and a bit of remote config as well. Can't, uh, do you remember specifically, Elliot, which ones? Yeah, it, it was them three, because obviously the, the web SDK can't hook into the native side of things. So, um, yeah, we, we there was a few other modules out there. There was, a, I think, was it Google Analytics Bridge, but that was kind of the, the full feature set for Google Analytics, whereas we were kind of just wanted what Firebase offered. So that was really the reason we got into it. And there wasn't really anything out there. It was kind of a few modules, but they were very specific, you know, like Firebase Analytics, for example, which were quite old. You weren't tested or kept up to date with React's uh, native changes or Firebase. So we kind of just thought, hey, let's try and get this going um, keep it up to date and then obviously all the module all the modules followed on from that so what are um some of the things that you can do i guess with firebase for people that this isn't really i guess react native specific but um for people that are not using firebase like what are people using firebase for and why would you kind of choose it for uh, react native i guess yeah so ultimately firebase is a huge service uh, which google um own they, uh, it provides a lot of different features, such as push messaging or FCM, um, analytics, uh, remote config. They have their own data stores in, in one called Firestore and the other one's called Real-Time Database uh, and, and loads more, really. So that platform in itself is available for... Sorry, it's allowed. Oh, I'll think outside. Um, yeah, the, the, the platform itself allows... A lot of integration on um, the web, iOS, Android, and a few other different platforms. And it kind of gives developers the opportunity to have a quite, it's fairly cheap, a cheap service where they can, don't have to worry about, you know, maintaining servers, um, you know, and everything that goes with that. It handles authentication, which is obviously quite a um, large part of most app cycles so social auth email or phone auth all that's kind of set up um with you know firebase and we you know effectively created a bridge for everything uh, and so react native could you know work with firebase and our our library mimics the web sdk where possible to provide the um, functionality which only android and ios specifically could hook into so it kind of like is an empowering web SDK for um, React Native. So are there like certain types of applications or certain types of applications you shouldn't use uh, to like to actually where Firebase would be a good fit um, versus another solution or likewise, like where it wouldn't be a good fit? Uh, just kind of when people are like analyzing, you know, back end solutions for an app they're about to put together. Uh, that's a good question, really. I think. So the the main sort of contention is is around using the database services. So a lot of the use cases we see is people do well something like authentication only via Firebase, and then they roll their own backend system or they use another service. So it's obviously it's it's flexible like that, and I think the use cases on not using those databases or those certain features it kind of entirely depends on on your app and sort of the volume of data and that kind of thing really um like the, the latest cloud firestore for example is built on google data store which obviously kind of scales infinitely um but also 
some of the queries might not be as flexible as people need. And that's also sometimes a reason people may opt to use their own backend system. All right. That's interesting. I didn't realize that you could kind of pick and choose the different solutions. Um, Cause like I come from a meteor.js background and it was kind of like all or nothing. And that was kind of a, you know, a weak point, also a strong point at times uh, with that platform. So it's cool to hear that. Like, uh, like you said, you can just choose authentication and go that route. Um, Cause like that is something tricky setting up, especially in the context of a mobile application, just dealing with all of that. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's something we do a lot as well. We we use authentication mainly on sort of new products that we build, and then and then we get to the case of we might not actually need to use sort of the database product because we might have an existing backend legacy system and that kind of thing. So it's really flexible like that, and that's kind of the reason we like to use it really. So what are the uh, so what are like the most popular services? I'm guessing authentication is is one of the most popular, and then the database are kind of like yeah. I'm kind of curious if you can kind of s- let us know what the most popular services are. Um, I'll say one of the top ones is FCM, sort of Google Cloud Messaging and Notifications. It's, it's also one of the more complicated ones because of the. Uh, the, the the glaring platform differences on iOS and Android in terms of notifications. Um, so I think that one seems the most popular purely based on that's the one we get the most questions or issues on. Um, but after that, I'd say analytics and storage, perhaps next contenders really, and then sort of authentication and the rest are just well i can't really quantify a number to be honest but i mean they're all used quite quite a lot um but i say those ones i mentioned were sort of the top top used ones and storage is that like storage as in like using firebase as a data source uh it's for um file storage and images and the the thing about that as well firebase gives you rules and security rules the same way you can apply to their databases so you can restrict users to to i know certain folders in your storage bucket based on their user id whether they're authenticated and i think that's one of the key points that people like to use it for because it's you can create security rules around your app to restrict where files are stored and who has access to them It's, it's pretty good like that so I guess this is more of a question around um, open source in general, but is this your first experiences uh, like maintaining a, a successful open source project? Well, uh, uh, Elliot and I have been through a few. I'll let Elliot take this one, actually. Okay. Yeah, I, I've had a couple in the past. Um, I think uh, we, it was one we, I, I created. A, it was Angular 1, actually, so it was quite a while ago. I created like a, a, a dashboard, which was a really like bloat-free admin-type dashboard for my own projects. I put it online, and then I think somebody posted it on Hacker News. I don't know who it was, and it kind of exploded, and I got it kind of became quite overwhelming. Um, that was one of them. And then the other one was a re, another React Native project, but it was kind of like a material design uh, components. And this was a kind of when React Native was quite new it's called react native material design when it was quite new and there wasn't really um all the libraries there are today so i just started working on you know creating a 
components based on Google's very meticulous um, material design um, spec and working through them. And that became quite you know, fairly popular. It does still get quite a bit of, bit of interactivity, but there's so many libraries out there now which do it way better in performance, you know, ripple effects on the button. It's been done way better than it was done then. So ultimately, yes, but this is probably the first one which has become a lot more popular in different areas, you know, like publicly, whereas the others were quite specific to, you know, people, you know, React Native and Material Design, whereas this one kind of gets a lot of traction from Google, SEO, a lot of people search it and find it. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's still quite coming popular quite steadily. So, and Mike's done a few of his own, um, which... You know, he can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that delegation. Uh, <laughs> nothing extremely popular. I, I've obviously I've done some things on Node.js um, that like they get a ton of downloads on npm and, and stuff like that in sort of the millions, but they're, they're not ones people go on GitHub or interact with. The more you use and forget about kind of libraries. Um, like some of the things I've done, um, I've done work on the official Node Readers library for Node.js. Um, sort of helped on building the Readers protocol parser for the version two of that. Um, and just a couple of other things around Readers really on Node, and it's kind of one of my interests, I guess, apart from React Native, I mean. <laughs> That's cool. So you both have had quite a bit of experience, I guess. So this isn't really like the first, like successful, really, because React Native Material Design that seemed pretty popular back in the day. I mean, I, I don't I don't know exactly the current status of it, but I know that I would I think I had used it at one point. So that's pretty cool. Um, can you say like uh, that maybe a lot of this experience that you had working on some of these projects affected the way that you handled this project? Yeah, definitely. It was more of a case of um, how to kind of market and promote an open source library. We like, you know, how how you sort of put your tweets out there and you know your, your new version and not not doing it too often, but not too sparse, so people still interested and in, you know keep coming back. Really, so from that side, it's kind of like a, trying to keep it popular as well. It's also important as just actual maintaining it and. And documentation as well. That that's always a, a really funny one because it, it, it's such an it's such an easy thing to kind of do, but do it well is quite a hard task. So that's something we've learned is you know the documentation is as important as the library itself because otherwise, if if your docs aren't good, then users ultimately get confused and go away from it straight away. So that's something we've really learned. And I think with React Native Firebase, it's sort of massive surface area, um, just you know, API-wise. But I kind of think on top of that, people don't want to look at the API. They want to look at guides and tutorials of you know how to develop an app from scratch using your library. So you know, keeping on top of that is really, really important. And I think that's the same for every every open source library. Yeah, I noticed that going through the uh, docs a little bit earlier. Um, one thing that really caught my eye was the 
kind of the starter apps that you guys have there and also just like guides and tutorials, like you said, like people like those rather than just kind of deciphering the API docs. Um, but I really liked, you know, the starter apps that you had and especially um, the premium starter apps that you had mentioned in uh, the docs. And I'd be interested in hearing like, you know, how has that worked? Because I also think that would be a great way just to kind of aid in open source sustainability, just kind of, you know, these premium starters just to help people uh, along the way. Like how has that, how's that worked within the project um, on just like support and showing people and also just kind of like helping make it a little bit more sustainable financially doing this open source work? Uh, that's a good, good question, actually. Uh, the We only had one premium starter kit. Uh, we've actually sort of discontinued them for the time being. Um, but we had a full authentication flow starter kit with Firebase, which which contains sort of your registration screens, your merging of accounts with multiple pro- providers, phone auth, etc. And it, it took took on really well, to be honest. Um, so that the problem was it was... It was a bit too well and sort of time constraints. We couldn't provide sort of a high level of service and support to people who bought the kit. So we kind of sort of had to pause selling them so we can sort of focus on the people that have already sort of paid for it for the time being. But that has sort of definitely aided in terms of keeping us, you know, interested in and focused on building the library and maintaining it. And it's probably something we will look at again in the future once we sort of figure out how we can support it better, really. It's, right. it's It was quite popular um, when we did have it. Like I said, um, it's just the it wouldn't be fair to keep selling it and diluting the support we can give to to people that are already sort of using it. Right. Yeah, and I think, yeah, that just goes to a point of so much software. It's just, it's, you know, not only do you make the sales, but it's also just the support. And like you said, once you kind of put that a price tag on that, then uh, the support is kind of included there. So working, you know, with React Native Firebase, how do you guys um, kind of budget your time um, just to like, you know, maintaining this open source library, especially one as popular as React Native Firebase? Like you guys are using it in your day jobs a, a bit, it seems, but then there's also like open collective. Like how do you guys just... One, just like, you know, allocate that time and also just scheduling it between um, kind of like the stuff that pays the bills and then also this uh, tool that may support it. But also, you know, not everything, not all the work you guys are putting into maintaining it, uh, like directly benefits, you know, the projects you're working on and making your living off of. Yeah, it's it's a good question. A library like this is is heavy on support, especially sort of given React Native and the difficulties uh, getting started with a native native app versus, say, using Expo, where all, all that difficulty is abstracted away for you. So, so we get a lot of uh, newcomers to React Native and uh, support around that takes a fair amount of time. I'd say probably 70% of the time we spend is is helping people and answering questions. Um, it, it gets it gets tiring, but equally, it's kind of nice to to pass on the knowledge and the hopes that they might come back one day and contribute. And we, we are sort of seeing steadily people are more and more sort of helping others and 
dropping the odd PR here and there, which is which is helpful. Um, in terms of developing the library, um, for me, it's it's more of a personal interest. Uh, I kind of in, enjoy sort of you know the the odd weekend coding away <laughs> until late in the evening. Um, so so for me, that's that's kind of what keeps me motivated on it really um most of my weekends is development work and then sort of during the week support and helping others really so for a library like this that is both javascript as well as native what percentage of your work is done on the native side versus the javascript side and also um people that are contributing are they contributing equally across like both code bases or, or, or different <laughs> co co languages, I guess you'd say? I, I think that, that's a tricky one, really, because ultimately, yeah, I mean, a lot of people who come to React Native are JavaScript developers, and they kind of use React Native because they've either used React before and it provides a real accessible way to start creating you know, really good apps. I'd say the split of code on the library itself is it's probably there's probably more JavaScript, um, but that's mainly just providing kind of an API sort of interface and then doing kind of I'd say less intense jobs on the JavaScript side and that's passed over to native. Part of the problem we, we tend to have is that a lot of these devs who come along either, you know, they might not know native, so contributing's hard because they can't do it natively without knowing java and objective c or they only know for example java or objective c so when they do a pr they're like you know they can't do the other side of the story so it does make it quite challenging um and even for you know for us working on it it's a constant learning curve because we've got to keep up with three you know three different things really and you know one of us is probably stronger in objective C than the other. So dealing with new features and whatnot, it, it can become quite challenging to balance it between the, you know, between sort of the three different languages. I mean, we, we, yeah, we, we both know JavaScript really well, but I'm less strong in objective C, um, probably better in Java. So for me, implementing a new feature in on the, on the library is more of a challenge doing it for iOS. So, it, yeah, and, and that, that obviously is multiplied for contributors as well. Yeah, I think you made a good point there, um, El. It's like when we get PRs, it is, is very much one-sided. So someone might add a feature, but they'll only add it for Android, for example, because they, 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 they can't do Objective-C. So then you can sort of get the case of we, we don't, or we try not to, we, publish anything in a release unless it's cross-platform so you end up with sort of prs just sat there until either one of us or some other contributor takes on the task of doing the other half of it i think that, that definitely slows down contributions so are you both um well versed in both um i guess objective c as well as java and can you kind of got both of you guys write for both platforms or one of you kind of specialists in a, a certain platform? Um, I'd say I, I can comfortably write in, in Objective-C and then more proficient in sort of Java. And I think Elliot's the same. Yeah, uh, yeah it's more like 
copy and pasting things on Objective-C. I, I really dislike the language because I've never come from that background, but <laughs> I find it so so awkward to work in. But um, uh, it's mainly a case of just like seeing what else has been done, Googling things and, you know, asking, say, Mike, for example, for help and kind of getting along that way. But again, it's like programming is programming at the end of the day. If, if you're kind of good at one language, you can kind of pick up the gist of, of another like, logic it's very similar so yeah you can kind of figure it out that's that that's that makes sense so between the native uh apis that you integrate you know firebase android firebase ios do they kind of expose similar features similar apis um kind of like you know reducing the workload on you guys exposing that to react native or do you guys kind of have to almost like manipulate the api to make some common api uh, surface area for React Native. Um, so the Firebase SDKs are actually surprisingly very similar on the native side. There is there is the usual type differences in in sort of Java versus Objective C. So I think most most of the time issues are around how we convert the data, and one platform expects say a dictionary, and the other expects some map or something like that and that's where most of the time is spent really um and generally if if say an ios if the ios sdk didn't support a feature then we wouldn't ship it on android because we as i mentioned earlier we try and maintain cross-platform support for any features we release well um for anyone listening that wants to kind of get started with uh with react native and firebase would you suggest that they kind of learn about Firebase before kind of trying to do anything, or do you suggest for them to read the docs? I guess uh, what I'm asking is like, how can someone get started, you know, using Firebase with React Native? Like, where would be the place for them to go? Uh, I'll say if, you, if you're comfortable with with JavaScript, and then then definitely look at sort of playing around with the Firebase Web SDK in say a platform like expo perhaps or a website get familiar with with the web sdk um sort of working around how you integrate your data into your components um and then once you sort of got that you can sort of dive deep into getting a a raw react native app and integrating the react native firebase sdk uh, ultimately we sort of attempt uh, as much as possible to maintain API parity with the web SDK. So switching between the two should be dead simple, really. And that's personally where I'd say to start from is is start simple and and, and don't dive too deep into the native side because you're going to end up with Gradle build issues or pod issues. I think get comfortable with the feature set, sort of React Native, and then move on to the raw native side of it. All right. Well, um, I think we're kind of getting close on time. Is there anything that you guys wanted to cover that we haven't talked about as far as uh, you know React Native Firebase is concerned? Um, I think testing is one of one of our, the key issues in React Native well, when sort of developing native modules. I think it's it's time for a uh, shameless plug. <laughs> So something we've sort of had the idea for quite some time um, is 
is how can we do end-to-end testing of our native modules, uh, sort of easier rather than where currently you would have to say, write unit tests for JavaScript, write testing code in Objective-C, write testing code in Android. And obviously that's, that's quite a big testing surface area to cover where ideally what we'd prefer is writing an end-to-end test. Um, and that's sort of something we've been working on with um, one of our proof of concept products, open source. It's called Jet. And basically it allows you to bring your React Native module code into Node.js and then just test it with the, the standard Node testing frameworks like Mocker um, and, and allows you to do full end-to-end testing, set up continuous integration, and all that kind of thing. Um, it's it's early days yet, but we, we kind of, it's one of those things that was a proof of concept, but it worked so well that we had to use it for our tests on React Native Firebase. So it's definitely something we're going to invest in sort of fleshing out into a full open source product. I think I sent you guys the link to it just to sort of give you a rough idea what, what it does. <laughs> Probably not explaining it very well. <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely include that in our notes for sure. Thank you. Is Jet, you you guys are actually using this project on a React Native Firebase, or are you kind of like moving in that direction to do so? No, uh, we are definitely using it currently. Um, on the repo, if you see the root of the repo, there's a bridge folder, and that, that's where all our tests sit currently. And they're using an earlier proof of concept of Jet. Previously, it was called Bridge. Um, and we're still using that heavily just because it makes development and testing much simpler right. it uses detox under the hood as well oh very cool okay all right well i think we'll go ahead and get to the picks for the show um spencer do you have any picks today when you start a new project typically you need things like a domain name hosting things like that when i choose hosting i pick mine for the options it gives i like to know what i'm getting and set things up just how i like them This is why, for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40-gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control, or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code REACTNATIVE2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is REACTNATIVE2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. I sure do. Um, so first off, one thing that I, I love is the state of JavaScript, and I just got an email shortly before that we recorded this, that uh, the state of JavaScript survey is going to open up September 1st. So if you're not already like on that email list, uh, be sure to get on it because it always exposes very interesting insights um, once the results are out there. And then the other thing is a little uh, plug of a tutorial I wrote. It's over on the Full Stack React blog. Um, it's one of my favorite exercises to do, and that's to actually build a JavaScript-based navigator for React Native. Um, If you're new to React Native or you just kind of want to get out of your project for a little bit and sharpen your skills, I think uh, building a JS-based navigator is 
just a great exercise to do because you touch so many different components um, within an application. And it's just a, it's a fun exercise. It's a fun result. And you kind of understand some of the challenges that a library like uh, React Navigation may face in uh, navigation. So uh, that's over on the Full Stack React blog. All right. Uh, Mike, do you have any picks? Um, nothing from us. Um, just that, that jet project that we're working on. We're sort of hoping that makes people's lives easier when it comes to developing React Native modules. Um, I guess we're, we're going to be working on that for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully get a full version out that people can give feedback on. Yeah, I'm checking that out right now. It's pretty cool. Um, definitely going to start it and maybe share it. Are you guys going to be, I guess, talking more about it as the time goes on? Or is it, is it kind of ready to use and things like that? Or um, def Definitely going to be talking more about it and sort of working towards getting a full documentation, um, some tutorials, CLI to sort of bootstrap testing projects, that kind of thing. Um, it's it's a proof of concept, but it's one of those things that it works currently and it was working and we we sort of liked how it worked. So we kind of just dived straight in and replaced our tests with it. It needs a bit more work for getting it out there for the average React Native module developer. At the moment, it's, it's not the greatest code, if I'm being honest, because it's a proof of concept. But it, it will it will definitely get there in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Um, so I have two picks. First one is a blog post from Adi Azmani from Google, The Cost of JavaScript. If you haven't already read it, it's kind of uh, been really making the rounds over the last week, so you may have already seen it. It's basically a rundown of uh, what is causing performance hits on your on your website and how to address those issues. It's really good. It's kind of like a deep dive onto kind of the bread and butter of, of web performance. And then my second pick is a, a tutorial that I wrote on Medium that's going to be out by the time this is, uh, this is published. And it's about how to authenticate a uh, GraphQL API using Auth0. And we're working with the AWS AppSync as the GraphQL API. Um, but the, this, the mechanisms of authorization um, kind of will will work across pretty much any GraphQL API provider, like if you rolled your own or whatever. So yeah, that's going to be uh, out now. It's called Authenticating an AWS AppSync GraphQL API with Auth0. That tutorial sounds good, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be reading that later. Yeah, it's the first one that I've done on um, authorization from like a, a different provider for uh, for AppSync. I've done one on Cognito, but that's kind of an Amazon thing. And if you're not already in the AWS ecosystem, you might not be using it. So I'm going to be doing one on um, on Auth0, which I already did. And then I'm going to be doing a few more on some other Auth providers. Learned a lot writing that, actually. I can imagine. How, how did you get on with Auth0, if you don't mind me asking? Um, like, how, did I, how, did, how, did, how does the flow work, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. You pretty much just create an, uh, you know, an, an Auth0 API or Auth0 application, whatever you would call that. Um, and then you set the OAuth signing algorithm to HS, uh, I'm sorry, to RS-256 because um, right now AppSync doesn't uh, allow you to kind of hold your secret in, in, in the dashboard. Um, once you switch the algorithm, then um, you 
do your normal Sanan through Auth0, and then in the callback, you get your ID token, and you pretty much just pass the ID token um, as part of the initial setup. So when you set up a GraphQL API with AppSync, you have this ID token, which is basically a uh, function, or it could be just a um, an ID token. So in, in my setup um, for the ID token, I had a function that just checks local storage, gets the uh, token, and um, sends that as part of the request. And then in the request, the API will now have this identity object containing the entire JWT. So then you can do things like um, check to um, see if the author of the data that's trying to fetch the data like matches. And if it does, then you kind of authorize the request. If not, you do not. Uh, when you create new properties in your database, you can store an identity uh, property, you know, as part of uh, the table to kind of, you know, identify the user and things like that. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, um, cool. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. It's first time meeting you. Um, so it's pretty cool to kind of talk to you for the first time. I've seen you all over the Internet again. So <laughs> likewise, thanks for having us yeah. again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for all the work you guys are doing. Appreciate it. Likewise. <laughs> thank you. All right. This wraps up episode 104 of React Native Radio. Thanks for listening and we'll see everyone next week.